Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Hello and welcome into another episode of another Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. I'm with me, as always, Chris Clark and Wes Mitchell. If you want to hear these guys with me on my local show on 107.5 The Game weekdays from 12 to 1, I got Wes with me on Mondays, Chris with me on Thursdays. And since we last did a podcast, there have been zero football practices, so no news to report on per se, but we're going to project ahead. Uh, we do know of a couple pending changes once the team gets back from spring break, and then, of course, we have the spring game on April 6th, so we're going to talk a little bit about the back half of spring practice and then veer out of our typical lane, talk a little bit of basketball as South Carolina is about to get underway in the SEC tournament Friday afternoon at about 3.30 and a big baseball series against Georgia to start SEC play. So all of that coming up for you. I want to remind you real quick that if you like the podcast, if you want us to keep doing it, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. That really does um, help us. And without further ado, hope you enjoy. Guys, second half of spring practice is about to get underway as i mentioned south carolina is on spring break right now so the team is enjoying their spring break but when we get back some of the changes that we are anticipating are aj turner who has been working primarily at defensive back he's going to work a little bit more at running back now the second half of spring and also uh, chandler farrell whom we've seen working at center a lot this first part of practice is going to start moving over and working at the right guard position any other moves that y'all are anticipating the coaching staff making as we move into the second part of spring i I don't i mean mj webb i guess could venture back but um you know while the aj turner thing was sort of set that he was going to do five days and then move um it seemed much more up in the air, I think, with MJ. Um, I think Eric Wolford said it was probably even going to be up to MJ Webb as far as what he would do. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a guy that, and I say this uh, com- almost completely blindly, but just from a um, sort of skill set makeup standpoint, um, he looks to me like a guy who actually could maybe help in the future at, at guard. Now, I think it's going to take time for him to learn that position. Uh, you look at defensive tackle and – you know, I think he's been passed by a number of guys at this point. So, um, you know, to me, that would be one to watch and at least keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who he's got some athleticism. He played tight end in high school, some too. He was a tight end, defensive end. I think he was what maybe you know two sixty five, two seventy in high school. So he's a bigger guy still, but he he played some tight end. So he's got a little bit of experience at least being on the line, uh, not as a true offensive lineman. So yeah, that's one they could look at. Um, and then. There's just going to be a little bit more mixing and matching on the offensive line. Uh, for example, Eric Douglas is probably going to get some left tackle reps. Um, they'll mix those guys in there. Hank Manos could get some time at guard and center once he returns from his ankle injury in full. 
Um, but really, nothing else huge as far as, you know, positional moves or anything like that. A.J. Turner, I think, is still sort of a to-be-determined. Um, he would like to be a two-way guy, but I think they'll they'll sort of feel that out the remainder of this spring. But he is going to go back to running back, like Wes said, and, and uh, have some more reps there. So if we're looking at the rest of spring, obviously the first priority, if you ask any coaches, any players, anybody, the first priority for the rest of spring is don't get hurt. So I'm going to mm-hmm. take that one off the table. But what are you guys looking at? I want one from each of you, a goal that the South Carolina football team should accomplish that you would like to see them accomplish come spring practice, whether that's having a solid backup quarterback or having a, an, a perfect idea of who they want their starting five on the offensive line to be or who they want starting on the defensive line. What is one goal for each of you for South Carolina come the spring game? I, I think it would be, and, and I don't know if they can solve this one, but I think it would be to figure out, have a better sense of what's going on at running back. You know, because I think that's the that's an area in which they've got to make some significant progress. And we've talked about that a lot. It's probably not going to be a situation they can fully resolve unless it's on the recruiting trail. You know, we've talked about that a lot with the importance of landing a guy like Tank Bigsbeers, another guy in the recruiting class that's of a similar caliber or even two running backs in this class. That's something that's a priority. But um, I think they've got to have a little bit better sense of of what they've got on the roster and how they can improve things going forward and I guess you could project that to the run game in general that's been a big point of emphasis in the offseason is trying to find a way to run the ball against good teams you know Will Muschamp's talked about it some of the older players on the roster like Donnell Stanley have talked about it Um, and then Rico Dowdle has been limited in spring so it's been about Kevin Harris the, the true freshman who enrolled in January, Deshaun Fenwick has done some nice things and has sort of turned the corner, at least from where he was last season. A.J. Turner's going to be back over there. Mon Denson's done some good things. Levante Valentine's been running track. Um, So they're they're sort of missing a couple guys in that equation, Um, but I think they need to have a better sense of what they've got at running back, and and it would be ideal for them to feel a little bit better about that position in the run game in general. Yeah, it was probably weird for Thomas Brown stepping into that running back room because the entire conversation last year was – not that Carolina had too many running too many running backs, but it was legitimately four guys that at any given time, any one of them could be the guy. I think that caused the coaching staff a, not anxiety, but you none of those guys differentiated themselves. And so it was like every yeah. game, it was any one of those four guys. And then when Thomas Brown steps onto onto the field for spring practice, like, well, AJ's on the other side of the ball. Tyson's no longer at South Carolina. Rico's hurt. It's like, well, I got, I got Denson and then all these other young guys that I haven't seen. So, yeah. you know, for him, I guess a little bit more of an opportunity having AJ back especially to say, okay, these are the known commodities. This is who I've seen on tape. This is, you know, what we thought we had coming back next year. I wonder if that will change the complexion of, of what that practice looks like. And, again, like you're saying, maybe help clear up a little bit of what is still going to be a pretty muddy running back rotation, at least headed into the season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, the, what you mentioned with having so many different guys, I mean, you, you sort of got the the adage that you hear about quarterbacks a lot where if you've got three, you don't have any, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing. If you got four running backs, you don't have any. Right. right. And, and maybe, you know, look. Unless you're Alabama. Unless you're Alabama. You know, and we've yeah, seen. Like four or five. Six. Right. And all the guys they had were really good. No one ever taught Nick um, Saban how to share. Is that yeah. A- <laughs> I mean, they have, I mean, who was Georgia. Josh? Josh Jacobs was considered like the worst of them and he was probably the he best. He was awesome. Yeah, he's probably he had, like, the best. One of the, if not the biggest highlight play from Alabama's entire season, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. absolute truck stick on his way to the end zone in the semifinal game. Yeah. That's I like mean, the the Alabama play that stands out for me the most this year. That, that's, 
you know, that situation's more of the outlier. You don't see that a lot. Now, you do you do typically see Georgia have two or three. Thomas Brown was part of that. You know, three running backs with him and Craig Lumpkin, Danny Ware. You don't see that a ton. You need to have, you know, one to two guys who are consistent. So that that's really been it for South Carolina. It's been the lack of consistency. They have had injuries. I mean, and that's the position in which you're going to get guys banged up. I mean, running backs are going to be playing hurt a lot. Um, and sometimes they get more seriously hurt to where they're actually missing time. And certainly we've seen that with Rico Dowdle. We've seen it with Denson. Um, and they're missing Tyson Williams, who they could have had going into this season. So, But they got some newer faces. I mean, once Valentine is back, he could factor in. He'd be more of just sort of a change of pace, but he could get in the mix. Kevin Harris, I think, has really pushed the other guys because we knew that he would be – I expected we would hear a lot of good things about him from the weight room, for example, because he's a big physical lower body kid. I expected to hear good things about that, but I think it, he's surprised a little bit with how productive he's been on the field. I think that's helped push Mon Denson and Deshaun Fenwick. I mean, talking to AJ Turner the other day at the media availability, he he raved about Deshaun and just his work ethic, how it's gotten better, and how he looks like a different player on the field too. So it remains to be seen, but he's a guy that's got some talent, and, and they definitely need more consistent production out of that spot this year. However, they get it or whoever it is. Wesley, what's your hashtag goal for South Carolina for the rest of spring? Um, you know, I, I almost went offensive line, but I, I think that all would kind of tie back into what he was saying. I think that goes back to the running game and stuff like that. So I'll go to the defensive side. Um, you know, I, I think finding that uh, basically the, the two other spots in, in the defensive backfield, because I, you know, I, I think you look at J.C. Horn, Israel McCormick, those two guys are going to be starting somewhere, I think, pretty sure. Um, you know, R.J. Roderick, I'd be surprised if he's not a starter somewhere as well. But then I think you look at that other safety spot. Um, can a, uh, you know, can a Jamel Cook sort of uh, come into his own and, and really step into that spot? Because to me, he looks the most like an upper-level SEC safety just from a um, size and skill, you know, skill standpoint. But you have to go see him do it. So um, then, uh, you know, you look at the nickel position. They want to be able to play J.C. Horn outside and you know they've talked so much about uh, you know both sides of the ball have talked about you know running the ball better on offense stopping the ball you know stopping the running game better on defense and um, a big part of that I think is like the outside uh, screen game as well Uh, their numbers were not very good out there so I think that ties in having a guy like J.C. Horn being able to play him on the perimeter having some size and strength out there well Mukwamu on the other side all of 6'4" Just to have that length to, you know, whether yeah. it's affecting the screen pass on the perimeter or just someone that can tackle in space. Yeah, have, having big guys like that outside, I, I think, is a goal for this team. But to be able to do that, um, somebody has to lock down the nickel spot, whether that's a a big, you know, in that, that position, some you see some teams go with a bigger, you know, almost like the traditional spur that Carolina had for so many years. It's more where it's more of a hybrid spot. You've seen at times where South Carolina, you know, his freshman year played Jamias Williams there, and it was more of a, you know, putting a true cornerback in that spot. Yeah, and, and we, we talked about that a little bit last week because I yeah. thought he played well there as a freshman, cons- especially considering that he was a freshman. But I, I think you're right. Like, ideally, I mean, you look at the guys that have filled that role in the past. It's Antonio mm-hmm. Allen, who was big, Devontae Holloman, who played linebacker in the NFL. He yeah. just has that more traditional size. My question to you, we've talked about some of the some of the newcomers, you know, Jamie Robinson, someone that's taken a lot of headlines, and I think – if you're being optimistic as someone that could factor in, if nothing else, then just to maybe provide depth at that nickel. But what about a guy like Johnny Dixon, the guy that I'm most excited about from this class? I mean, how much do you expect him to be able to contribute? Could he be someone that factors into that nickel rotation? 
Um, maybe. You know, he wasn't mentioned as one of the nickel guys. I think he's more of an outside right. perimeter corner. But, um, dude, there's so much playing time to go around there too. I mean, we're talking about even if Horn and McQuamu, you know, are the guys outside, who are their backups? You know, so right. the the freshman. You know, I, I think there's a very real chance that uh, a, a guy like Johnny Dixon and, and Cam Smith could be like the two backups on the outside. And then, um, you know, Shiloh Sanders is going to get a look at nickel. Jamie Robinson's going to get a look at nickel. Um, you know, you, you might have, and I'm trying to, I mean, am I forgetting a guy like that's, yeah, that's I mean, all on a, campus AJ right Turner now? I mean, could play yeah, corner. Potentially, I mean, but potentially. Um, you might have just freshmen across the board as your backups, um, at, you know, at cornerback and nickel and, you know, I think if if you can play R.J. Roderick at nickel, um, that maybe helps solve some things, but also then you need some guys to step up at safety. I want him to stay at a strong safety. I, I thought he looked good back there. I don't he want to did, move but you're putting him even closer to the line of scrimmage if you got him at nickel. Yeah, but he also he also gives you a little bit of size for a group of safeties that's not going to be very experienced. I mean, no one. I guess this whole secondary is going to be relatively inexperienced. But yeah, I guess I just like having someone with at least a little bit of experience at the very back end of the defense to keep everything in front of them to keep everything organized. I think that's I think that's what Carolina lacked a lot last year, and a lot of people said you know Carolina needs a DJ Swearinger type to come to bring the swagger to to lay the wood and stuff like that. And and while that was all true, I, I think. More than anything, what people were right about without necessarily hitting on it, what DJ Swearinger brought was that ability to organize and to keep everything in front of him and really be a leader there in the secondary. That's harder to do from the nickel position because you got, you know, four guys in front of you instead of the other 10. So I, I, I would like to see, I would like them to have enough good options at nickel that they could keep Roderick at safety. I feel like that would be ideal. And, and you know, I think RJ, to your point, is a smart kid. Like he's super sharp, he picks things up quickly. Um, you know, and, and there will probably be times where he may have to play both. We we know this this staff will cross train these guys like crazy, and um, you know maybe he starts out there in the beginning, but maybe uh, you know I think you the wild card to this whole thing is Jamie Robinson. If Jamie Robinson can come in and be the guy we think he might be, then maybe he's the starting nickel by halfway through the season, and then R.J. Wright. I mean, if you had J.C. Horn on the outside, Israel McCormick on the outside. A guy like Jamie Robinson, if he's what we think he is at nickel, then a Roderick and let's say a Jamel Cook at safety. I mean, those are bona fide SEC athletes with size and that can match up across the board. Then the other guys sort of fill in the blanks behind them. Um, you know, we don't talk about JT Ebay. He's not as big as these other guys, but he was a starter um, at the beginning of last year before the injury bug got him. So, um, and, and then there's always a, a guy like Jalen Dickerson who, if he could ever get completely fully healthy, for an extended period of time, um, you know, the staff, I thought, talked as highly about Jalen Dickerson as a true freshman as they have about anybody on defense, and um, it just hasn't worked out from an injury standpoint yet. Yeah, it was remarkable. I mean, I can't remember which game it was. Maybe maybe the it could have even been the bowl game, um, but it was one of the games late in the season because Dickerson, of course, was forced into action later down the stretch, and I mean, the safety position was so banged up last year. They were missing, what was it? Was it six or seven guys that they were counting on at the beginning yeah. of the year? If you counted Taven Jackson, who was the medical disqualification. And so everybody who was playing was also banged up. Even R.J. Roderick, Montac, and Dickerson, which were really like the only three guys they had at that point, were all playing hurt also. So anyway, the, the point is they were really sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel from an experience standpoint and a health standpoint. Uh, he just didn't have many guys. But Dickerson, when they were playing one of the games late in the season on the broadcast, uh, 
one of the broadcasters said they'd spoken with Will Muschamp in advance of the game, and he said Jalen Dickerson was as talented as any safety he'd ever coached. And that was pretty, you know, and, and, and the announcer brought up, and I said, even Earl Thomas, and he said, yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty, you know, that, that sort of blew my mind because I knew the staff was high on him. Um, he's a guy that we saw work out west in high mm-hmm. school at camp, and we knew the staff loved him, uh, but that, that really stood out to me. God, just um, uttering that name, Gamecock fans started sweating at the potential. Yeah, yeah. I mean, incredible. But he's, he's got to be healthy. If they can yeah. stay healthy back there and, and find some answers, they'll have a chance to, I think, be a good unit. But they got to develop some depth and, and stay healthy for sure. Chris, you want some answers on the running game. Wes, you want some answers on the defensive backfield. We won't know until – well, we really won't know until the season starts, but we really, really won't know until spring practice And you just want everybody to stay healthy. I just want everyone to stay healthy. That's my goal. No, <laughs> no Deion LaCorn injuries in the spring game because that's terrible. We want to avoid that at all costs. Uh, but like I said, spring practice getting back underway next week. When we come back uh, next Thursday, we'll have more actual practice news and notes and updates and the much-anticipated and much put off on our part. We're going to have the Spring Kings because right before the spring game, we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to go through the all-time great performances in the spring game by Gamecock, so we're going to have some fun with that. Elsewhere in the Southeastern Conference this week, we have right now in Nashville the SEC tournament going on. South Carolina, somehow the number four seed, even though they're not going to make the NCAA tournament, they're still the number four seed. They get the double bye. They're not playing until 3.30 tomorrow. They'll be playing the winner of Missouri and Auburn. How are you guys feeling about South Carolina's chances in the SEC tournament? Because by and large, I think people have sold stock on this season. I don't think there's real – I mean, they have to win the whole thing. And the way that they got blown out by LSU, Tennessee, and Kentucky, I feel like people are pretty pessimistic, but it seems like A.J. Lawson may be back. Do you feel like there is some dark horse potential here for Carolina? I mean, I, I think so, Chris. I don't know about you. Um, you know, as as we're recording, we don't know yet if South Carolina is going to play Missouri or Auburn. Um, I – I don't think it's any type of limb. You know, you don't have to go out on a limb to sort of say it's probably going to be Auburn. Uh, they've played pretty well lately. Uh, South Carolina has played well against Bruce Pearl coach teams uh, under Frank Martin. You know, he's sort of held the edge there. So um, I feel fairly good about their chances to win one. Um, I think the the real question is can they win two? Um, you know, can A either a – Florida or Arkansas knock off an LSU, which if South Carolina wins, that would be the sort of grouping they're aligned with. Um, again, we don't even know if Florida or Arkansas has won. Yeah, that while, game's going on right now, so this, this only yeah. has about a two and a half hour shelf life. But <laughs> yeah, well, we're just assuming it's going to be Auburn and then LSU. Yeah, we'll we'll kind of make that assumption. But either way, we can talk about what it means for South Carolina, and um, you know, can can an LSU get knocked off for you or? Um, you know, one of those teams take out LSU, then all of a sudden the path becomes a little bit clearer. But also, um, if there was any way to possibly sneak in by just winning two and not winning the whole thing, to me it would probably need to include that marquee win over an LSU because that gives you another big-time victory. Um, you know, are they getting in with by just making the championship? Probably not, but some of the numbers still say they would have a shot. So um, we'll see. Chris, what what do you think their chances are of winning? <laughs> Maybe they could finally get on the bubble if they made it to the finals at least. I mean, I, I think Frank Martin would have some some opinions on that about yeah. them if they if they still weren't on the bubble at that point. I mean, they would uh, if they win two. 
and make the championship game, well, they're at least going to be on the bubble. You would not just if they win two. They w- it would have to be wins against Auburn and LSU to have the quality of win to right. boost right. your net ranking and to, again, get those quality wins because Carolina doesn't really have those. They, they do have Auburn. That was at home. They have Mississippi State at home. Those are both good wins. Those are both top 30 net wins. I think Mississippi State's like 20, maybe top 20. Yeah. So those are your quality wins. But you don't have the, the overwhelming... Yeah, this team belongs, especially when you look at, like I mentioned earlier, losing by 19 at LSU, losing by 26 to Tennessee, and then 16, and then losing by 22, I think it was, to Kentucky. I may have those uh, deficits mixed up, but it was somewhere. They lost all those games by 16-plus, and so I think that really hurts your case, especially when you factor in the bad losses. I know Colin Taylor had a, a nice breakdown of all the sort of bubble teams uh, that's on Gamecock Central you can go check it out if you haven't seen it he goes through all the bubble teams looks at their quality wins their quality losses their wins against like top whatever net opponents and the quadrant one and quadrant two and I mean really it, it looks really really close um, but the the bad losses that he mentioned for Carolina were Stony Brook and Wyoming I think it's also worth throwing Oklahoma State in there because that's the one yeah. that, that really sticks out and gets you because it's right in the middle of the season you know and if the bad losses were at the beginning you can say this is a completely different team, but they still had that that little dip there. They lost to Oklahoma State and then losing three in a row towards the end of the SEC slate. Obviously, you have to factor in A.J. Lawson's injury. All that to say, I think it's a long shot for Carolina here. I still am of the opinion that they'll have to win the entire thing. To I, I don't I've heard some people say two games, you know, Auburn LSU in the end. I don't think they're there. Yeah, I, I I'm still I'm with you on that. I think first of all to, to answer. The question about whether or not this is one—I mean, I think they can win the tournament. I, I do think it's going to be a very uphill battle. Like if I'm laying odds on it, I say probably not because yeah. Does Devin Downey have any more eligibility? Right, because if you if you get past LSU, presumably, let's presume that's who they have to play. Um, if they can get by one of Auburn, Missouri, and they can get by LSU, presuming that's who they play, then you're waiting on you're probably probably waiting on a Tennessee or Kentucky at some point. And, 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 and that's difficult. I mean, you know, th- those teams are, are sort of next level. They're beatable. I mean, they've each lost three games in the conference. Um, Carolina really hung with Tennessee. I mean, they cut that deficit. Uh, they Tennessee had at home. I mean, yeah. they, they had it there. Um, on the road, they played even better later. Um, so it's it's there. I, I, I just wouldn't lay great odds on it. In terms of their tournament chances, I, I still think, even if they got the best possible draw in terms of you know, getting a highly seeded team and then winning, you know, even beating LSU and Auburn, I still think they get left out. I do think they get more on the bubble at that point, which they should. Um, Being on the bubble when you're still getting left out doesn't ultimately matter. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. But I think, I think Frank Martin's biggest gripe, which I happen to agree with, is that they haven't been as much of a bubble team, and they should be. You know, they should be you know, at least in the last four out, last eight out, you know, just looking at the resume, um, I think it, it would make sense because you, you look at the resumes of some of these teams and, you know, they really do match up. And then you've got a situation like with, with the, the chairman of the committee who's making these decisions. They're sort of all over the place because sometimes they, they take into account the net then they sort of don't. Well, that's the thing. There's take, 15 billion teams in college basketball, yeah. and there's no way mm-hmm. that these people watch even a fraction of the games. And that's not a slight against them. It's just you can't watch all these games. You can't no. know all these things about the team. So they put these metrics in place, and the metrics are imperfect, and they don't factor in. You know, they don't, they don't factor in so many teams, so many things. As much as they try to, as much as they have, you know, the new formulas that factor in. You know, road losses don't hurt you as bad and things like that. It's it's just it's an unknowable thing. And so I think it's an exercise in futility. And I understand why Frank Martin's frustrated, but 
the teams that Carolina is close with, the one that gets brought up a lot or has been brought up a lot the last couple of days is Texas. And you look at Texas and they're 16 and 15 as well, but at least they have the win over North Carolina. So I think maybe that's what people are thinking when they say if they get that win over LSU in the SEC tournament, that would give them a similar kind of resume right. to Texas. But uh, I don't know. I just, it's for me, it's just too much of a long shot. And it's frustrating. And it's it's been a really fun year. And I really, really like this basketball team as much as any Carolina basketball team that I've watched. Obviously, the Final Four team's up there. The team with Devin Downey and Ev Cabanulis, who, by the way, is my all-time favorite Gamecock. I don't know why. He just is. I love Ev Cabanulis. Like, this is in my pantheon of fun Gamecock basketball teams. And I think um, the scenario with two wins also is going to completely depend on what other bubble teams right do. like you Gonzaga know, not yeah. winning their tournament getting upset by St. Mary's St. Mary's now gets the automatic bid so Gonzaga is getting one of those at larges that South Carolina yeah. would theoretically be vying for so that yeah. absolutely hurts so, Carolina. That, but that's something we can't really account for like we can sit here and say ah you know I think they're in I think they're out with two wins but a lot of it will depend on what else happens and um, ultimately how the guys in the room with the committee what what do they ultimately say you know what is their tie you know what what's a, what's a tiebreaker for these guys and you know we can take what they say but um uh, sometimes it seems like they'll take they'll take a reasoning and apply it after a decision um and be like in this case we made the decision because of the net but right. with these two teams we made the decision because of this you know it's like yeah um, and and they'll talk like what I was talking about with the commissioner earlier, like he mentioned strength of schedule. You remember when they did sort of the mock breakdown of like, here's who our number one seeds would be right now? And that gave a little window of insight, and he, he talked about strength of schedule. Well, the net was supposed to sort of eliminate the argument of, well, we played a tough schedule and we got the quote-unquote quality losses. Mm-hmm. They were trying to sort of eliminate that or at least push back on it a lot by introducing the net, but yet here he is still bringing it up. You know, and so, and then the net, I mean, you got silly things. Like, you, you see a lot of basketball games who are two-point games with 45 seconds left, and then a team ends up winning by 11. Because then you got a foul, throws, right. then you start jacking threes up and you miss it. Um, and it's something UNCG's coach was talking about making their case the other day. So, you know, that from that standpoint, the net's a little bit silly. Right. Now, one thing that the net did to try to mitigate that that particular scenario is they have capped – like how much you're penalized for a loss at 10 points, which I also think is a little bit problematic because I think there are times when you need to factor in, oh, wow, this team beat this other team by 25 points. It Mm -hmm. wasn't a 10-point loss that ballooned. It's like they actually just, you know, absolutely punted them into the sun, like what happened (laughs) when Carolina played Kentucky. So it it is a very, very uh, imperfect system and and just continues to be frustrating. But also, like, that's kind of what makes it fun, I think, in a lot of ways. Not for Carolina fans this year, but the mass chaos of it. I mean, there's a reason they call it madness because it's just – it's absolutely yeah. insane. And I'll give I'll give a little bit of a hot take. It's still still taking the position that right now I don't think South Carolina should be in. You just it's just hard to make the case at right now, where we sit right here, it's hard to say they should be in. This is almost more for bubble talk. But another thing, you know, the committee has also admitted that they take injuries into account because talking about Duke seating, they said we need to see how Zion Williamson looks. Now I know he's probably a top whatever draft pick. One of the best players uh, number in one, basketball, unquestionably. Un, like the oh, only, you're going unquestionably. If okay. if he was missing, yeah. if he was missing an arm, he would still be the number one pick. <laughs> if he were missing an arm and a leg, then I think he would fall to five. Okay, <laughs> got you. So top number one undisputed overall pick, Zion Williams. I mean, we're talking about a guy that people are saying is the best prospect either since Anthony Davis or LeBron. But yeah. anyways, no, no, that's that's fine. So so they're taking that into consideration. AJ Lawson. Mm-hmm. I mean. 
how different would it be? Let's say South Carolina was making a run against Alabama when he got injured. I know they lost the game, whatever. The Missouri game, do we really think South Carolina loses that with A.J. Lawson? I don't think so. Would that make that huge of a difference? Yeah, it would. Because you're talking t- about 18 of, and 13. You're talking about 13 right. and 5 in the conference. That makes all in, the difference in the world. In they're point. in, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, what, what, you know, if we're taking into account, now I know Duke's in regardless, but, you know, if, if they're taking those things into account, should you not? Because A.J. Lawson is a guy, you look at his usage rate, it's 24%. Zion's 28. You know, so... He's got the ball a lot. He's an, he's stab. he's he's a highly you know he's a valuable defensive player, very valuable offensive player. He sees a lot of the ball, and so you know that's why it's just if you're going to have all these different metrics, like sort of condense it or just lay out. Here's exactly what we're looking for. But like Wes said, they they sort of pick and choose, and it's just hard to keep up with. That's why it's very hard to project. It's also an impossible job. Right. To be it's very exactly. yeah, it's you know, impossible. It's, it's yeah. thankless. It's impossible. Um, and I thought it was interesting. AJ Lawson's freshman numbers track almost exactly with Sandarius Thornwell's yeah, freshman and, numbers, and like pretty close to BJ Mackey as well. I pulled the stats crazy. like two weeks ago, and they're they were all like fourteen or fifteen with around three assists, around three yeah. or four rebounds. Um, I, I think Mackey had a I think Mackey and Thornwell had a higher shooting percentage mm-hmm. um, than AJ Lawson, but obviously he takes a higher percentage of his shots from three. Um, and does a lot more in transition. But, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about a really special freshman here, and I, I agree with you. Like, that, even if they didn't complete the comeback in that Alabama game, they 100% would have won the Missouri game. There's no doubt in my mind. And that at least gets Carolina to 17 and 14. And we're talking about one or two wins really being the difference for Carolina here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and we still don't know. We're optimistic about his health, but there's still no official word that he will play in the NCAA tournament. I'd be shocked if he didn't, but that's a big consideration here. I'm holding on to what the teamrankings.com guys say. They still say 50% if Carolina wins two games, it's a coin flip if they're in or not. Well, you got to hope that's higher than higher than I, I, I would think so, think. too. I, I, that's higher than I would put it. But we, we were talking about tiebreakers earlier. Maybe you hope that a tiebreaker is having a first-team all-conference player, a first-team all-defense, the six-man of the year, and a conference first-team all-freshman. And right. having the man, Frank Martin, and having as the man coach. That, that everybody wants Carolina to make a run so that they can have Frank Martin on their national Either talk sports show or TV show, just because he's he's so much fun. Like he was he was lapping it up in the best possible way when Carolina made that Final Four run, making all these appearances on Dan Patrick and the Today Show and all those things. And he's great on it. He's great on TV. He's great on radio. So maybe those things would give Carolina the tiebreaker if they make some noise here. But we will see. Uh, next time we talk to you, we'll have a final word on that. Last thing I wanted to touch on today: SEC baseball getting underway for South Carolina tomorrow night, Friday night, welcoming to town number eight Georgia. South Carolina has been outrageously good compared to where I think people thought they would be at this point in the season. Given that they lost 10 guys to the draft last year, it's the first full year of Coach Kingston having a full recruiting cycle. And obviously, like last year was his first full season, but like first full year complete with recruiting cycle. And I think people were like, I don't really know what to make of this. The first half of last season was a little bit rocky. They finished strong. We're a win away from making Omaha. So I think people had hopes but maybe not expectations but this has just been tremendous the defense hasn't been great the starting pitching hasn't been great and we're still sitting here in South Carolina's 14 and 3 or 13 and 3 well I think uh to add to that um you look at third base is a different player there from last year even though it's a returning player in a lot of these instances shortstop is a different player two different players this year so far Yeah. yeah second base is a different player First base is a different player, it's even a though, yeah, yeah, it's a catcher. He's a returning player, but mm-hmm. compared to last year, right. and two different players there. Yeah, catcher is brand new. Yep. All three 
starting weekend pitchers are brand new. Um, different left fielder, same center fielder, and different right fielder. And uh, DH has been just, uh, as it always is early in seasons, it's been a rotation of guys, and depending on matchups and who's hot and who's you know shown in practice what they can do at, at that particular time. But um, considering all that, I mean, this team has done very, very well. You made the comment off the air, though. I said, hey, it's a top 25 SEC matchup to open the year. And you were like, well, they all are, which is almost true. <laughs> I mean, 11 to 14 teams in the top 25, depending on where you look. You can be. This could be this could be a great baseball team and still not you know win a lot of baseball games during the SEC play. So I, I think the thing is we're going to find out, and there's there will be some ugly moments. I'm sure you don't have this much roster turnover and this much uncertainty about the pitching staff not to have some ugly moments. But I, I think there will be some times where this team just uh, continues to bash opposing pitching and puts up big numbers as well. And we're going to see can they get hot at the right time. But I, I do hope that the fan base. Um, treats it like baseball as opposed to trying to treat every baseball game like a football game. And even and, though the scores have been maybe closer to most football <laughs> yeah. games than baseball games, um, you know, don't freak out. It's, it's going to be up and down. the The thought process is, and, and the great thing for Carolina is they haven't had, you know, the bad losses we're talking about. Um, you know, in in basketball, yeah, you, you know, you dropped a game early on the Liberty. They've ended up being a really pretty quality mm-hmm. baseball team. Um, you lost what to Gardner Webb midweek game um, to Gardner Webb, which like whatever it's a midweek country, game. It was game two of five that they were playing that yeah. week, and that's tough. Every team in the country has um, some midweek losses. The thing is, you don't want them to pile up on right. you. And right now, they've been able to avoid that early on. When if you looked at what we just talked about, how much they lost, um, it would have been a very real possibility for them to to rack up a few. Yeah, you to know, stumble losses. out of the gates, to lose some midweek games, to lose the series to Clemson. Um, I mean, that's the third loss that we're talking about. We're talking about a, a yeah. Clemson team that's still in the top 25 and was in the top 25. And in swept Carolina UNC, who was number one by right. a lot of polls. Um, and they're, yeah. uh, they're leading Power 5 teams in home runs with 32 right now. So it's been a fun team so far. With that being said, it sounds like you are tempering your expectations for this weekend. So I'll ask both of you. I'll start with you, Wes, because it sounds like you're no, I, maybe not as optimistic on a scale of 1 to 5, with 5 being Carolina's going to Omaha. How optimistic are you about this team as we enter SEC play? Five is Omaha. Um, and one is fire Mark Kingston at the end of the season. Can I say three and a half? Sure. Okay, I'm going to say three and a half. And I am I am five on Mark Kingston in general as far as um, his ability. I, I think uh, – As far as his biceps? Well, that's a, that's a you thing, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Abstain from that. Yeah, that's a you thing. Um <laughs> it, that wasn't on the podcast. We talked about that before, though. That was, no, on, that your was on my show. show yeah. um, Pearson's got a thing about. Um, I just can't believe how Mark good Kingston's a shape he's in for like regimen. a fifty, whatever, forty, like late forties. Probably Should have. Isn't he on Jay's show pretty regularly? Yeah, have Jay ask him about yeah. that. I, I mean, I asked him. I was like, dude, what's your workout routine? Like, I need that. And he was like, I don't know. I'm just jacked. And I was like, okay. He didn't say that, but I don't remember what he said. He didn't give me his workout routine. <laughs> he's throwing there. quotes out there. <laughs> yeah, um, he, did, he didn't give me his secrets. Well. Um, Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Mark Kingston as a coach. Um, I like him as a coach just as much as Pearson likes his workout <laughs> regimen. But um, no, as far as this season, I just think it's going to be difficult. Um, there will be ups and downs, and I think the you just got to hope there are more ups than downs throughout the the SEC slate to where you get a good draw, and then at that point, it's just about sort of getting hot and having some luck and stuff like that. Spoken like a true Carolina fan, Wes is predicting a sweep. 
for Georgia this week, and that's what I'm hearing. Chris, how are you feeling about this team? One of, to five. A sweep of the entire SEC slate. Yeah. Just no losses. Wes is like, oh, Carolina's not going to win any more games. Right. <laughs> no, um, I would be – honestly, I would be where Wes is. Three and a half? You know? Yeah. Um, not even like 3.6? I feel like you're more I'll optimistic go, than he is. All right, I'll go 3.75. Oh, excellent. You know? I love it. I, I do think there's a – you know, some years there's a – you know, you, you feel good about starting pitching, fairly good about, like, your midweek or your back-end guys, your bullpen. I think there's a big, big gap in what South Carolina has with their starters and then what you have midweek and then, like, their top couple bullpen guys and the other guys. I mean, they, they of course, had the couple key injuries that have hampered them and then, on top of that, lost Majinski. So they're, they're down in terms of pitching. So I do think they're going to have some struggles at times, even even maybe with their starters. Um, the guys that have been in there, and they've still got some questions to answer there when they get to SEC play starting this weekend. I think they're going to have that. But I think a good hitting team is a good hitting team, and I think they're going to continue to hit well. I mean, we, we talked about Clemson. South Carolina put up double-digit runs, right, in two games against Clemson. Um, and then the other one where they didn't, they still won and got a good pitching performance overall. So um, I think there's a lot of things to like. You know, we talked about – I mean, I'm looking at Georgia's schedule. They're a good team. They've lost two games. They lost to LIU Brooklyn at home, you know, in a in a, in a Tuesday game. One to nothing. So, I, obviously, Georgia can't hit. I think we're going to learn a lot about this team. But it's going to be it's going to be incredibly difficult. So it's going to be similar and probably amplified, but it's going to be similar to the basketball schedule. Where we know it's going to be sort of a grind and with the SEC slate coming in. I think it's going to be even worse in baseball and – be curious to see how many teams get into the NCAA tournament field. Well, um, you know, you know that, that's a good point. Not I mean, to cut you off, but a lot of it's like um, SEC softball every year. <laughs> the SEC is so loaded that you know you can. And I don't want to throw out a number because I don't know, but it seems like there's a lot of teams even with losing records in conference play, and they still make the the big tournament because everybody knows how good the conference is. So it used to be sort of. You know, that 15 and 15 mark a lot of times was you needed to at least be 500 in conference play. But will that necessarily be the case this year? And then, you know, you have so many, talked about how many basketball teams there are. There's so many baseball teams, too. Um, that plays a factor. But, you know, I, I wonder if, if maybe the standard for getting in as far as conference record goes uh, is a little bit different this year. Yeah, and I mean, wasn't it only Missouri in softball who didn't make it last year or something like that? That wouldn't that wouldn't in the NCAA tournament. I think it was literally like every team except Missouri or every team. You know, it, it was it was insane. So it, it's 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 a meat grinder, and I think it's going to be similar in in SEC baseball this year. And and it's really that way each season. I mean, we talk about this every year. Win or lose should be a competitive series again. Georgia number eight in the country coming in, but Carolina playing really as well as anyone. So looking forward to see how that thing plays out. That about wraps it up for us here. Want to remind you, for those of you that haven't already, which I think most of you have, but if you're not subscribed to the Gamecock Central newsletter, you need to do that because it is infinitely digestible. It's in your inbox first thing every morning. You get it up. You get everything you need to know that happened the day before, that's going to happen in the coming days. Just keeps you current with it and uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that if you are not currently a member to Gamecock Central we have a great opportunity for you join.gamecockcentral.com or you can go to our front page gamecockcentral.com look in the top right corner and join our website um, and you get a month <laughs> free if you use that code That's the yes deal. Well, just you, do you it sure do I mean it's GC pod so GCPOD enter that in the little promo code box 
Yeah, get some free time to Gamecock Central, and then after that you'll be hooked, and you'll want to pay the already super cheap rate to stay with us. But you get some free time. a month. Nine ninety five a month. And if you do annual. for annual. It's a and quarter it a day. Gone, it hasn't gone up in like a thousand, a thousand years, years, I think, is yeah. the It's a long specific. time, so it hasn't gone up until since 1019. We don't believe in inflation at GameCockCentral.com. <laughs> Maybe for, we should start believing For those of you that are keeping <laughs> track, that was before Great Britain was civilized by the people that currently occupy this it. Is, so. This is why we keep him here. Yeah. He 1066, like Norman Conquest, William the Conqueror. I got another thing. Good stuff, Pearson. Go ahead, Chris. Tell them, well, that's not as old as I thought, but tell them what, you're, what you got pulled up right now. Right now, so I'm I'm doing some research because we don't just make things up on this show about in advance of I our didn't spring. Make that this up. is our, actually happened. Ten sixty six was the no 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 no. no, no it's not a shot at you. Calm this down. This is okay. sports related. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm doing research for our spring kings feature. So this will be a, mm. the spring That's coming kings next week. Guys, get excited. He's got preview. the spring game from 2012. 2012. Oh, and we learned today while I was researching Duran Pearson's show that Stephen Garcia played in two spring games, which I. For some reason, just did not think that he. Are you play- sure about that? He played in two thousand nine and ten, which wow. I, I did not think. But anyway, this is two thousand twelve, April fourteenth, two thousand twelve. So I'm looking at the you know leading rushers, passers. We're trying to find guys who were uh, really in good spring. in the spring game, and then maybe didn't do as much later. And and spring games tend to lend themselves to guys having bigger right. performances and not because the, they get more opportunities. The but, second um, leading passer in that game was none other than Tanner McAvoy. Oh, That's right. Man. Eight for 12, 132 yards, two touchdowns. And let me tell you, he is making the Spring Kings list for that. And um, one little. of my favorite all-time Gamecocks, Seth Strickland, um, two for three for a yard. No, seven yards. Also, my former roommate, yeah. shout-out uh, White Sauce, Will Besley. That was his all-time favorite Gamecock is Seth Strickland. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Love and Seth man. Also, shout one, out Seth. one rush for minus seven yards. I assume that was a sack. And they for Seth? Him. Yeah. Look, Looks like he yeah. maybe got sacked for minus seven yards. Yeah. We hope that was a sack. Anyways, that's a that's a behind the scenes look of what your guy what you guys are going to be getting a lot more of next week. So if you want us to keep doing this, if you want to hear uh, the Spring Kings episode, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Share with your friends. And as we enter the doldrums here, we're going to do a little more or a little better job having some mailbag episodes because after spring practice, there'll probably be a little bit of a lull, but we're going to want to keep this thing rolling. So uh, be on the lookout on the yeah, Fighting Gamecock Forum. Yeah, is where you'll be able to find a thread if you want to ask us any questions. Also, thank all of you that tuned in via Periscope or Facebook. Live. We're now going to have all of the episodes of another Carolina podcast live stream simultaneously on Periscope and Facebook Live. So be on the lookout for that. And we will talk to you guys next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.